Well, good morning, everybody. Um, so welcome to uh, theology. I guess you could call it theology you know, 101. Um, I'm not really thinking of this week as the first week of the theology class uh, that we'll be doing for the next X number of weeks. Um, the reason being is, well, of course, this is Memorial Day weekend, and there are, I think, a lot of people out. And typically, when you teach a theology class, the first week or two are pretty crucial because you're beginning to lay a foundation that you build upon, you know, in all the, the following weeks. So I didn't want to do something this week that, you know, where people would kind of be behind if they, um, if they missed this week, if they were starting next week when we expect, you know, maybe a, a slightly bigger um, group of folks here. Um, but that's not to say that what we're going to talk about today is important. I think it's vitally important. And I think that it speaks to kind of the attitude of our culture and the way that our, our, our culture thinks about theology, about God, about church, about Christ. And so um, if, you know, I see some new faces here. If you haven't uh, been in one of my Sunday school classes before, um, I hope you're ready to talk because I like a very conversational style of teaching. Um, I ask a lot of questions, and then we, I, like, I like to kind of flush out some of the, some of the ideas that, that folks come, come up with, right? So um, I love this A.W. Tozer quote. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And I absolutely agree with that 100%. So cool. All right, so let's pray, and then we'll get started with the, the first question. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for um, uh, bringing us together and to uh, study your word, uh, to study who you are, and um, hopefully to get to know each other a little bit better. Father, we ask that you be glorified in this time, that only truth be spoken and remembered, and that, um, again, you are glorified in everything that we think and say and do. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I almost said thank you for this meal. And uh, so, I don't think I've had enough coffee yet. All right, so the first question. So what is theology? The study of God. Okay, what does that mean? So how, how does, I'll ask this slightly different question. How does theology relate to the Bible? And you don't have to, I mean, it can be anybody can answer it. Yes, ma'am. It's the, the Bible is the best resource for studying God. Okay, that's a, that's, a great, um, that's a great answer, I think. Anybody else? Well, the Bible is God's chosen way to teach you about him. Okay, it's his chosen way. Is it his only way? No. Okay, it's not his only way. What are some other ways that we can know about God? Something about God. Sorry? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit generally enlightened, uh, he enlightens us to his word. So you have word and, and spirit, okay? Creation, okay. Um, what, well, and we're going to talk a little bit of, um, in a few minutes about kind of the difference between uh, revelation and creation and revelation in, in, in his word, okay? Good answers, good answers. So have you ever heard of it referred to as the queen of the sciences? Who? Anybody ever heard of that? Yeah? What does that mean? That, it, 
Theology is the queen of the sciences. Wow. I'm, that, that's a great question. Your parents should be very, very proud of you. <laughs> or I should, I'm sorry to say, uh, it's a great answer. Great answer. Yeah, very good. Yeah. So back in kind of medieval times, um, everything was related to God. So universities were created as Christian institutions by the, by the church, and there was a uh, diverse, diverse um, uh, curriculum. They studied everything you know, from astronomy, you know, mathematics, art, all this stuff, but it all had un- unity in the way that it uh, related to God. So you have unity and diversity. And you put those two words together and you end up with university. Okay? Uh, do you think it still holds that title and should it hold that title? Kind of a Actually, kind of an obvious question. That's clearly not the queen of the sciences anymore, is it? No? So no and yes. <laughs> so no and yes. Okay. He has a way with words. Yes, sir? Back to that first question. Did you get an answer for the relationship between theology and revelation? Uh, well, the, the, between theology and the Bible. Yeah. And um, uh, Sharon said that the Bible is our best source of theology. And we're going to drill down on that a little bit later, but um, yeah, I, thought that, I thought that was a good answer. Um, so do you still think it holds true? And so as Stuart um, very eloquently explained to us, no and yes. Okay, so should it? Well, um, one way that I think about this is back in, well, let, let's talk about today. So today we think of religion and in quotes there, religion, as being something that is like a book on a shelf. And so, uh, and you guys have heard this analogy a thousand times, so I apologize for repeating it, but uh, I think it's a good one. So we think of religion as a book on a shelf. So our ideas about God are like a book on a shelf. And those are set next to politics, and those are set next to, you know, social issues, and those are set next to ethics, okay, Um, economics, et cetera, and so forth. The Christian worldview is not that religion is a book on a shelf. Our religion, Christianity is the shelf. And everything else relates to it. And we've lost that, um, that idea in the last, last few centuries, last century in particular, um, where it's been more compartmentalized and it's been more privatized. And it's been divorced from things like the natural sciences and things of that nature. But in reality, God is God, and God is the God of the universe. He's God of the natural sciences. He's God of the political sciences. He's God of mathematics. He's God of everything. And so our thinking needs to be such that we put our lives, every aspect of our lives, in those categories as they relate to God. And that's why... um, Theology is so important. Theology is not something that is just for people that don't have anything better to do. You know, it's, and it's not, uh, you know, just lofty economic, uh, economic, um, academic 
questions. They're very, theology should be very practical. It should impact our day-to-day -day lives. If it doesn't, we're doing it wrong, okay? And if we don't understand theology, we're living life wrong. Um, I, it's a good question. There, there's a slight distinction. I would say that theology drives the Christian worldview because I'm a big worldview fan. And, and what I mean by that is our Christian worldview should come primarily out of who God, or be driven by who God is. And um, what a worldview is, everybody's got a worldview, okay? You may not know you have a worldview, but you have a worldview, and a worldview is what you think about, what a person thinks about, the big picture, or kind of the big picture uh, questions. Okay? What is ultimate reality? Um, what happens when you die? What's the meaning of life? Things of that nature. Okay? Christianity has very particular answers to all of those questions. And we call that, the, of course, the Christian worldview. And it's driven by God's revelation from the, from the Bible. Okay? Uh, worldview is, I think, a, a fairly new term, but it's a, it's a good term because it, draw, it should drive every aspect of our thinking. And that's what I mean when I say it, uh, Christianity is the, the shelf itself rather than just a book on the shelf. Does that answer your question? Okay, cool. <sighs> Let's see. And I've already answered this. So what areas of our life does or should theology impact? All aspects of our lives. Okay. All right. So I copied this from the um, Indiana University website. Um, not trying to pick on Indiana University. Um, but what's that? Indiana or Indian? I'm sorry. It's supposed to be Indiana. <laughs> Wow, yeah, okay, spell check can only go so far, right? Um, so I'm sorry, yeah, that should be Indiana University. Thanks for catching that, Mr. Longhorn. Um, uh, and so I'm not, I'm not picking on the Indiana University I'm, because I probably could have pulled this from just about any other university website, okay? So let's look at, at what they have to say, and there's going to be two slides, this paragraph and then the next one. The real, I think more... Relevant stuff is in the, the next paragraph, but this one is, is relevant. Theology, or the systematic study of the divine, has existed for many hundreds of years. Today, it is typically understood to involve the training of religious leaders within particular religious traditions, preparing them to adhere to and uphold clerical practices. Training in a seminary, monastery, or other divinity school tends to emphasize personal faith and one's relationship to the divine. Love how they keep using the word the divine, right? Because it's a little more ambiguous than God. In religious studies, these subjective influences. Now, what does subjective mean? I'm sorry? Different for you and me. Different for you and me. So it's, think of it as uh, opinion, right? So these, um, you can think of it as uh, opinionated influences, kind of that sort of thing. So in religious studies, these subjective influences may be in the background of your work, but the emphasis and end result are more analytical and objective. Now, what's objective mean? Based on facts. 
It's based on facts. So, exactly. Yep. It's proven. Pro Evidence for it. Okay. Yeah. So you have, um, so we have subjective influences versus objective fact. Okay. Scholars compare various religious practices and identities, consider their historical significance, and aim to understand beliefs in relation to each other. In religious studies, your base of inquiry is to examine these differences without showing preference to one particular belief system. Now, Somebody make some, you know, make an observation about this. What, what do they think about theology? What do they think about our quote-unquote knowledge of God? It would be more comforting to think that they actually come from Indian University. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good point, good point. Well, they think they, they don't see any factual basis for belief. Okay. They believe that they, they're saying there's no absolute truth. Okay. Right. I feel, yes. Not what I know. Okay. Great. Training to become a preacher and not to learn about God. Okay. So it's a specialized kind of opinion, right? That um, for the, the clerical folks, but it's more based on feeling as opposed to like reality or fact or knowledge. Okay. Yes, sir. It's also so in logical terms, it's committing the bandwagon fallacy. Okay. That all of these different viewpoints have something, that, and if you basically if you find the thing that's common to all of them, that must be the truth. If mm -hmm. most people believe it, that's true. Mm -hmm. And that's not, that's a logic fallacy. That's, that's okay. not how things work. Did you all hear that back there? Okay. He said it, it, it commits kind of the bandwagon fallacy, which is where if, one more time. If It's basically saying that the, the majority of people believe it, then that's that clearly is the objective and right. result is true. So if most Christians buy into the idea that it's about feelings, then Christianity is about feelings. That an okay way to summarize it? Okay, cool. But could not be further from the truth. Yes, ma'am. Uh, it seems to be making two presumptions. Okay. Two, two presumptions. <laughs> okay. The first is a materialist worldview. Okay. Okay. Two great observations. So the first one is it assumes or presumes the materialist worldview. Now tell me what a materialist worldview is. There is no spirit. It there is no spirit. Essentially what you think of when you think of uh, evolutionary atheism. Okay. Is that we're born, we die, and that's it. Okay. So materialism is nothing but atoms or material matter in motion and the laws of, you know, that, that, that nothing exists except for matter. And even your mind is kind of an illusion because it's nothing more than a bunch of electrochemical reactions going on in your brain. And so at some point, uh, there was enough of those and they became complex enough so that you could have consciousness, achieve consciousness. And so we see that where people believe that AI 
is actually, you know, artificial intelligence is actually going to um, achieve consciousness at, at, at some point, right? And I was asked by a friend of mine several years ago, we got to figure out, you know, what we're going to do with silicon-based life forms. You know, what kind of rights are they going to have, that sort of thing, okay? So that's a materialistic worldview over and against a Christian worldview. And then everything flows out of that idea, you know? So if you believe that a human mind is nothing more than kind of the critical mass of electrochemical reactions, then what do you think about the value of human life? What do you think about ethics? Where do they come from? They're created by us, okay? That's, essentially, it's, it's referred to as existentialism. You have to create your own meaning because there is no meaning, you know? So that flows naturally out of a materialistic worldview. And then the other one, uh, there was another presumption that you said. What was that? Okay. To be objective. Okay. So, so that human beings are capable of suppressing our subjectivity, our opinions, in the pursuit of objective knowledge, right? Well, they're injecting, like you said, they're injecting your opinion in, into this. They, their worldview is being exposed by this, this paragraph, what they actually believe. Two great points. Two great points. So, theology is a matter of opinion. It's subjective. A person cannot have objective knowledge of God. Um, I don't know if we have any Oprah fans in here or not, but um, I got this example from uh, J.P. Moreland. And you're, you might hear me mention a couple of J.P. Moreland examples in this, in this talk. But um, he talks about an episode of Oprah, where they spent the entire episode talking about God, whatever, and I quote, he, she, or it is, okay? It's not a matter of what's important is not what you believe, it's how earnestly you believe it, okay? Now, Oprah spent an entire episode talking about who or what God is, now, let me ask a slightly different question. This is hypothetical, but what do you think that if Oprah wanted to have a um, show on, say, smallpox, do you think that she would have spent the entire show talking about smallpox and giving you her ideas and opinions about smallpox? What would she have done? She would have brought in a doctor or an expert, somebody that has what? Knowledge of that discipline, right? Now, what does that tell you? Oh, and, and then furthermore, Oprah would not say that she was an expert in smallpox. So what does that tell you that she thinks about God or the knowledge of God? You can't, go ahead. I'm sorry? It's subjective. There are no experts when it comes to God because you can't have true knowledge of God. That's what she believes. It's all a matter of opinion. Whatever makes you feel good. Okay? The true thing is it's all your opinion. It's all your opinion, yes. The true thing is Yes, yes, yes. But what I just said, by saying, yeah. (laughs) 
Self-refuting argument, right? Yeah. All religions are produced by a mixture of culture and personal commitment. Um, in other words, it's just it's a matter of what you prefer, you're grown up to prefer, kind of that sort of thing. And then the real science has to do with studying theology as a phenomenon of human behavior or society. That is, theology is subservient to psychology and or sociology. Now, this, can we can tie back to our ideas about the queen of the sciences. Okay? 500 years ago, there was theology, and then there was kind of like everything else. Today, in universities across the world, theology no longer has, in most, most instances, its own school. It's tied in with the school of social sciences, because theology is about human behavior and human rituals or spiritual rituals, that sort of thing. It's not really, it doesn't belong in the natural sciences. It doesn't belong in anything where we can actually have objective knowledge about anything. It belongs in the study of the way humans think and behave. Which is why most catalogs would fit in religious studies. Yes, religious studies. Because you can't have knowledge about God. Exactly. So it's about your religion, your feelings, not objective knowledge of God. Good. We haven't met, but I like you guys, by the way. So, <laughs> All right. So based on the worldview contained in the previous slides, can a person have objective knowledge of God? We've already answered that about five times. No. Uh, but what does the Christian worldview say? It says a lot, but we'll start with these four, I think. So through divine revelation and illumination we may know God truly and personally. So what's the difference between revelation and illumination? Anybody can read it. Okay. So God has revealed it, and anybody can read it, but but you can't understand it without illumination by the Spirit. Okay, good. So revelation is like, um, you know, I'm... I'm, uh, showing you a picture, and then illumination is actually the Holy Spirit flipping on the light so that you can actually see it. Okay? The way I think about it is revelation, think about the actual book of Revelation, right? Yeah. From a person without the Spirit reading it, they're going to see a lot of weird stuff going on. Hey, I'm a person with the Spirit, and I see a lot of weird (laughs) stuff going on. But, but, But seriously, but we can actually say, but we can look at it and say, we truly believe this is yeah. actual reality and will happen. Yes, so yes. Some things we don't understand, but the Spirit has given us the ability with an open mind to say, this is going to happen. Right. The faith and, and through right. um, understanding. If you want, from a person that's just reading it, it yeah. literally looks like a total fairy tale yeah. um, to them, which would be the way God uses um, the simple things or whatever to, yeah. the, to the spies, to the lies, or however you say so what do we do, if it's objectively true, what do we do with all these different ideas about what Revelation actually says and what it actually means? Uh, so that's why I think you have to have by faith that it's going to happen. But okay. we have to also chalk it up to it's not meant for us to fully understand because yeah. then we would, then it wouldn't be God being above our ways and understanding. Yeah. Um, and for things like they were writing back then, they had no idea what they were actually seeing. Yeah. So we have no idea what they actually saw, so it's, it's still a mystery to us that's going right. to be revealed. It, so there's mystery that's ultimately <laughs> going to be revealed, but right now we're still fallen creatures, 
illuminated by the Spirit, we're just not unified. The book of Revelation means one thing and one thing only, but we just have disagreement about what that means, and what that means is at least most of us are wrong. (laughs) Potentially all of us. Not about... Not about are the things in Revelation going to happen, but are kind of the interpretation of that, right? Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, we all get opinions, just like cars. Yes, sir. As far as the difference between Revelation and Illumination, I'm, I'm still not. So when you're saying Illumination, then that's understanding. I don't see what the meaningful difference is then from Revelation. So backing off of the use of Revelation to refer right. to that particular book, but Revelation meaning... Some, a truth that God has revealed in his yeah, word. Right. Illumination, you're saying, is then understanding that truth? Or yes. The spi- spiritual understanding, kind of a First Corinthians 4 thing. I would think that an atheist can, can look at the truth that Jesus died on the cross and mm-hmm. rose again for salvation from sins. Right. And so, yeah, I can understand that. I, I interpret those words. I understand yeah. what they mean. I would think that the difference, the, the, the actual meaningful difference between Revelation and Illumination then is the gift to trust that it actually okay, that's fair. affects you. Okay, that's fair. That, that's like probably... Jesus can even affirm, Jesus rose yeah. from the dead. I don't think that matters. I don't trust right. that for my salvation. Sure, it's... Right, because even happened, the... I understand it. Because even Satan believes that, yeah. or, or knows that, yeah, yeah that Jesus raised from the dead. of that truth. Right. Well, but but here's the thing. I let, let's flip over to general revelation real quick, and let's look at First Corinthians. First um, Corinthians. I'm sorry. Romans one. Yeah, um, eighteen through twenty-two. What it talks about is God's divine attributes and eternal power being revealed in the in the creation. Okay, and so first key word is is revealed, and then mankind, all of mankind, has clearly perceived those things but we suppress the truth and unrighteousness. So we don't, um, to your point, we don't uh, trust that. We don't acknowledge that. Um, atheists will, will even say, yeah, he doesn't exist. No, there, is, there are no divine attributes. You know, there is no eternal power because there is no, there is no God. But, um, and then what they do is they, they, create theories, they write books, different things of that nature that, that deny that, right? So, um, but they still know the truth, they're just suppressing it. The, they know the truth and they suppress it, they're yeah. Lying to themselves yeah, yeah, okay. And, and there are other religious groups that also recognize the attributes of God through nature, but yeah. they don't attribute it to the one true God. Right, good. Yeah, so many, many religions um, acknowledge the attributes of God in nature, but they don't attribute it to him. Right. Yeah, good. Absolutely. No, I agree with both of those. And that's probably a good, um, good distinction with illumination. So, cool. Uh, I, I guess the, but the point I'm really driving at is the idea that it's more than just a matter of an academic challenge or an intellectual challenge. We, it requires the spirit for us to actually believe, acknowledge these things. So, to know. To know, yeah. We probably glossed over the verb in there. 
Yeah. Is to know yeah. the, the truth has to yeah. be yeah. presented somewhere. Right. And then illumination is explanation of what does it mean, what do you do with it, right. so you can actually know. Because right. knowledge that you don't put into practice isn't actually knowing. It's right. Just kind of yeah, it's just kind of out there. Yeah. 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 Knowing means you understand yeah. it and there's some kind of motivation. Right. So, so knowing knowing um, means kind of li- living it out. And under, to an extent, extent yeah. understanding yeah. and accepting it's true. Yeah, yeah. Let's just say you suppress the truth. Yep. Um, That's good. Okay. Ex- excellent. Excellent. All right. So Jeremiah nine says, "Thus says the Lord: Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches." But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the the Lord. So there's the idea of a personal knowledge of God, like a personal relationship. But in order to have that, we also have to know things about the person that we have the relationship with. Now, I've said before, you know, for those of you who, who know my wife, if I was describing her as a blonde Asian that likes, you know, the outdoors and, you know, that sort of sports and that sort of thing, you'd be looking at me going, you're, either, you're, you're not describing the Jan that I know, okay? And so if I don't know certain things about her, it's impossible for me to have a personal relationship. Does that make sense? Okay. And then John 17 says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus whom you have sent. Number two, God has made certain things about himself, such as his existence, power, creativity, and wisdom, known through the natural world without regard to time or location. We call this general or natural revelation. So we were talking about a few minutes ago with Romans 1. Okay? And it's also in Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. So number three, aside from nature and conscience, God has made himself known through the prophets, the Bible, and his son. We call this special revelation. Long ago, Hebrews 1, long ago at many times and many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. And finally, although we may know God truly, no human can ever fully comprehend him. We call this concept incomprehensibility. Now, here's the thing. This one is always kind of, I hate to say pet peeve. I I have a pet peeve that I hate it when people say pet peeve. Um... (laughs) We, we tend to, in general terms, accept and embrace God's incomprehensibility, okay? The fact that we can't fully understand who he is or everything about him, okay? He's an infinite God. We are finite beings. Even when we're glorified, even in heaven, we're still going to be finite beings. So we're not ever going to fully 100% understand everything about God, 
It just can't happen, okay? Um, so we embrace that idea until there is a particular question, doctrine, whatever, and then, you know what? We're going to figure this one out. So when you come up with something like divine sovereignty versus human responsibility, or the humanity, the, the fact that God is, or I'm sorry, Jesus is fully God and fully man, those are sorts of things where throughout church history, people have, have been determined that they were going to reconcile those things. Those mysteries that are in this world are, are irreconcilable. And when we do that, what do we end up with? What's the word? Somebody said it. Heresy. Okay? And maybe even blasphemy, but heresy. All right? So although we may know God truly, no human can ever fully comprehend him. We have to embrace that fact. Isaiah 55 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than, than your thoughts. Then Romans 11 says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom of knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. Really, it was just that kind of first sentence that was relevant for what we're talking about, but I just love that third one, so I had to... 36, so I had to put it in there. All right. So let's go back and mash up or compare or contrast, I guess. It's not comparing, it's contrasting. Um, the Christian worldview against the kind of predominant worldview today. So they say theology is subjective. A person cannot have objective knowledge of God. But we say a person can and does have ob- objective knowledge of God. They say all religions are produced by a mixture of cultural and personal commitment. We say all false religions are produced by man. True religion is revealed by God. And that's something that I actually, it was a question I was going to ask, and it just popped into my head. On that very first slide, the very first question, what is theology? Um, I was going to ask, how would you distinguish between theology and philosophy? So if I ask that now, what would be your answer? How, what's a, how do you distinguish between theology and philosophy? Yes, ma'am. Okay, truth or opinion interpretation. Okay. Um, how about um, the the means by which we acquire knowledge. In philosophy, what are the two ways that you acquire knowledge? Reason. Reason. Those would be called the rationalists. And the other one is, what's that? Empiricists. What's that? Measurable. Measurable. So it's sense perception, right? So they think that um, the only way to acquire knowledge is either, one, you see it, taste it, feel it, hear it, that sort of thing, or two, you use your mind to your, your reason. So what do they deny? 
divine revelation. Okay? So in a sense, you can think of theology as um, is almost like philosophy, well, first divine revelation with, with uh, empiricism and, or empirical uh, sense perceptions and rationality kind of um, on top of it. And, and by the way, I, I, I think it's very profitable to study philosophy. Very, I think it's very profitable. Um, if you think of kind of another definition of philosophy would be it's the study of metaphysics or reality, it's the study of ethics, and it's the study of knowledge itself. Okay? Um, those are like three branches of philosophy. Well, does the Christian worldview have anything to say about those three things? Absolutely. So you can be a full-on Christian philosopher, but it just means you're taking all knowledge, specifically that coming from God, in order to understand, uh, understand reality. All right. And then finally, the real science has to do with studying theology as a phenomenon of human behavior or society. That is, theology is subservient to psychology and or uh, sociology, and we understand that the real science, that is the acquisition of knowledge, has to do with recognizing God in nature and um, in Scripture. Um, there was a theologian in the early 20th century, uh, Charles Hodge, and one of the things that he talked about is, you know, in the natural sciences, he said you you look at, you know, maybe you're a chemist and uh, measurements that you take in a laboratory, you know, with Bunsen burners and acids and bases and all these sorts of things. That is the the that's the kind of the data that you're bringing in. That's the, the base of your knowledge. And then what you do is you begin to discover relationships and make observations about these things. And then you go back in and you test them to make sure that your, your observations are, are correct. Okay? He said the theologian is really not all that different. What do we do? We look at the Bible as the source of our Data. I hate referring to the Bible as data, but it is what it is. Um, so we look at the, the Bible as a source of our data, and then we, we begin to make um, uh, join those things together and make observations about it, and then go back and test it by way of the Bible. And so the idea is that both in the natural sciences and in theology, it's not a matter of personal opinion. We don't invent these laws. Um, we discover these laws. And if we find evidence to the contrary, then we, by, necess- not by necessity, change what we believe. Does that make sense? So if we learn something new from the Bible that we hadn't learned before, we don't want to bend it into what we already think. We need to uh, bend ourselves into conform with it. Does that make sense? It's actually more scientific than what most of the science Yes, especially these days. Yes, yes. Good observation. All right. So what's the underlying issue? What is the key difference between the predominant modern worldview and the Christian worldview? I already gave you one. The world thinks that God is a human invention, right? Um, Actually, that's not the one that I... Christianity is a a revealed religion. Um, It's not man-made. The world tends to think of God as an invention of human imagination. Um, That's been around for... About 300 years. Yes, sir? The difference is God is preeminent or mm-hmm. man is preeminent. Yeah. And everything runs. Yes. 
either God-centered or man-centered, right? And going back to philosophy, um, you know, if, if you um, study like the history of philosophy, that started happening in the late 18th century with Immanuel Kant, and everything since then has been impacted by that. I think it's very beneficial to, to understand why we believe what we believe. So theological statements like those in our statement of faith are uh, claims to objective truths and not merely matters of personal preference. They are either objectively true or they are not. They are in principle statements summarizing divinely revealed truths which are one found in scripture or the good and necessary consequences of scripture. Stephen, would you like to explain what good and necessary consequences of scripture are? There are consequences that are good and necessary? Logical conclusions that you have to reach. If this other thing is true, then this, if this first thing okay. is true, this other thing has to be true, right. even though it's not stated in Scripture. Yeah. It's an undeniable reality. Right. Okay. Did you all hear that? It, it doesn't have to be explicit in Scripture for it to be uh, biblical. So, for example, the Trinity. How many times is the Trinity, the word Trinity, used in Scripture? Zero, Right. Does that mean that that's not a biblical doctrine? Don't you dare nod your head, right? <laughs> it's a very biblical doctrine. We're going to talk about it in a few weeks. Okay? Um, so what we have to understand is that when we're conversing with people, either evangelism, apologetics, um, or just with one another, we have to understand that we're not always going to get back to a chapter and verse. You know, we're not always going to have an explicit declaration from Scripture as to what um, to to testimony to testify that something is true. So, but what we have to do is, if we really understand what Scripture is saying, then we can kind of understand kind of the full witness of Scripture. And it is very good to be able to go back and say, okay, from here and here and here, then this is where we, this is why we believe this, even though there's not a single chapter and verse that we can point to. Make sense? Okay. And then two, informed by the historical witness of the church. In Protestantism, we tend to break out in hives when we talk about tradition. But church history is vitally important. If we don't look on what we've learned, what, what Christians have believed, and the way they have interpreted the Bible over the last 2,000 years, then we are really robbing ourselves of a um, wonderful source of knowledge. Okay? So we cannot, um, you know, be afraid of tradition. We just have to put tradition in its, in its place. It's subservient to Scripture. Okay? We're going to talk about that a little bit more next week. However, these declarations are not infallible. And if they are found to be inaccurate based on Scripture or the good and necessary consequences of Scripture, they should and will be changed. And so theological um, statements are, again, they're not, they're not infallible, unless they're just from, straight from the Word of God. But our understanding of, say, the end times, our understanding of, you know, different areas of, of theology um, aren't, we could be wrong. And so that's where investigation in the scripture 
we're constantly refining, we're always reforming, we're constantly refining what it is that we believe to align ourselves more and more with, with what Scripture says. All right. So why is it so important that we understand these theological beliefs as objectively true? I've been talking a lot, so I want to open that one up to you guys. Why is understanding theology as being objectively true and real, why is it so important? Because that's the thing we're going to run up against in the world. Okay. The idea that what's good for you isn't the same as what's good for me. The idea that uh, religion is nothing but subjective. Okay. Okay. So let me, uh, let me kind of expand on what you just said, because you said it's what we're going to encounter in the real world. I just read an article this morning in the Economic Times. No, I don't normally read the Economic Times. It popped up on my feed, okay. Um, it talked about how there is a uh, family in North Korea that was thrown in jail for life including a two-year-old child. What was their offense? They had a Bible. They were in possession of a Bible. It just sent, I mean, it literally just sent chills down my spine. Um, if that family, if those people believe that what they believe, and this is crazy important, if they believe that what they believe is a matter of opinion, are they going to go to jail? Are they going to stand in front of their persecutors and basically glorify Christ in their, their metaphorical stripes? No. They're going to go find some other opinion. Opinions are not worth dying for. Right. That these people, they didn't die for a lie. Right. They died right. for truth. Right. They went, except for John, all of them were tortured and killed. Yeah, violent and deaths. Why would they do that if it was something that wasn't real and wasn't true? Absolutely. And if it's something that they knew wasn't real or true. Right, right. right. And objective truth means it's true for everyone. Mm-hmm. It, and I keep coming back... I'm a nurse, so I keep coming back to subjective and objective data. Right, yeah. The patient tells you, I'm having pain, and it's a 10. Mm-hmm. Is subjective data. Right. Having a heart rate of 115 it... and grimacing and right. observable things that tell you they're having pain is objective data. Right, right. So objective data is true for everyone. Mm-hmm. Subject is not. Right. Good. Did you guys hear all that? Yeah, okay. She's talking about the difference between objective data. She's a nurse. So she's talking about the difference between objective data and subjective data. So when she asks somebody, you know, on a scale of 1 to 10, how, what's your pain? Well, that's a subjective data, and it's kind of hard to interpret, you know, because a 10 for me may not be the same as a 10 for Bruce, right? But a heart rate is something that is objective. It's measurable, and it's, it's universally true, right? 
Fred's heart rate on this day at this time was this, and that is a fact that will never, ever change. The time will change, the heart rate will change, but at that time, that was the heart rate, okay? So, Christ rose from the dead. That's either factually true or it's not. Um, God created the heavens and the earth. That's either factually true or it's not, okay? Our, the purpose of us being here, even breathing a breath, the purpose of that is to glorify Christ. That is either factually true or it is not, okay? Um, a few, was it August? Yeah, last year. I was in Aberdeen on a, on a trip with a bunch of, um, whole bunch of folks that um, were trained in the natural sciences. Uh, they were engineers, petroleum engineers. They were geologists. There was a couple of computer science folks. And, I mean, these are some really, really smart people. There was about a dozen of us. And we're sitting, I'm sitting with a, right in the middle of the table, and right across from me is an atheist, and we were having a conversation, and we went through philosophy, all sorts of different stuff, and everybody was listening, and I knew everybody was listening. And I remember I texted the elders, and I'm like, hey, guys, pray for me. I'm witnessing to about a dozen people right now, you know? <laughs> and um, so we're talking through this, and as we moved on to the, the next place, um, I started talking to some of these guys were coming up and up to me and having conversations with me. And again, these are engin- these are scientists, they're engineers, geologists, that sort of thing. And you know what every single one of them said? What you're talking about is your interpretation. Now they weren't talking about my interpretation of the Bible. They were saying that that the reality of Christ, the fact that God created the heavens and the earth was my interpretation of reality. These folks who are trained in the hard natural sciences, they actually thought that everything that we were talking about, whether or not God exists, whether or not he created the heavens and the earth, whether or not Christ rose from the dead, was all a matter of opinion. And if these guys believe something like that, what is everybody else going to believe? And the reason I say that is Mrs. Curto, yes, um, saying that she was a nurse. Now, why is that relevant? Because nurses, doctors, they're trained in the hard sciences. They're trained in things that are factually true. And so one of the vital talents that they have is that they have to be able to distinguish, like she said, between subjective and objective reality, between opinions and between facts. You don't do medical procedures based on subjectivity. You kill people when you do that. Okay, So it's a similar sort of thing with... Petroleum engineering, if you're drilling down two miles and taking a right turn and drilling two miles that way, okay, you have, better have a pretty good idea of what reality is about in those layers of rock. Okay? And it's a similar sort of thing with Christianity. If Jesus did not die on the cross and was not resurrected from the dead in a miraculous way, then even the Paul himself said what? We are to be pitied as fools because we've wasted our lives. Okay? Um, I know I've beat this 
this horse, and it is about as dead as it can be. But please understand, the world, we are so influenced by the world, and we're not talking about opinion, we're talking about reality. Why is it so important that we get them right? It's good to know that the God we're meeting on Sunday morning is the God of the world, the, the, the God of the, the creator of the universe. Why is it so important that we articulate what we believe in the first place? Because I've had fellowship with believers for years and come to find out what we actually believe, the way we have um, certain definitions of certain words and stuff, they they believe something radically different than I do, even though they use some of the same words. So we, we need to articulate what we believe with one another. We need to get into what does that mean? And we need to let iron sharpen iron and help one another um, come to a better understanding of the Bible and of Christianity. All right, so next week, um, we're going to do a proper introduction to theology. We're going to talk about the kinds of theology, including biblical, historical, and systematic. Don't worry, it's not going to be real academic. I think Ken said something about, we're talking about theological method, and I'm like, oh, come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> you, want, you want to clear out a, uh, a room, start talking about the, you know, theological method. No, we're not going to talk about theological method. And then uh, categories of uh, systematic theology. So, cool. All right. Um, we've got a couple of minutes. Any questions or thoughts? Anybody? Yes, ma'am. Yes, and what I mean by that, um, she asked about the good and necessary consequences of Scripture. Uh, And what I mean by that is that you don't see um, the word Trinity being mentioned. You don't see the concept of the Trinity in in its fullness in any one particular passage or verse, okay? But when we go and we take the full witness of Scripture together— then it is clearly a biblical, very biblical doctrine, okay? So the doctrine of the Trinity is not explicitly talked about in Scripture, but, it's, but it comes out of the good and necessary consequences of Scripture. Does that make sense? Okay. But it does define what marriage is. Yep. And so you can extrapolate that. It yep. doesn't, this other thing is wrong. Yeah. Because it already defines what marriage is. Okay. That, that's, a, that's a great example. Um, if you didn't hear her, what she said was uh, that you look at the destruction of marriage these days, um, you know, homosexual marriage, that sort of thing. The Bible doesn't have an explicit definition anywhere of exactly what marriage is, but it, it does speak to what it's not, and it does speak to very critical elements of what it is, right? And so by the good and necessary consequences of Scripture, we know that homosexual or same-sex marriage, whatever you want to call it, is not something that is um, biblical. It's a great way to put it. And that goes for transgenderism. That goes for a whole bunch of stuff that we're dealing with today. All right? Excellent. Stephen, would you mind closing us in prayer?
praise you. Thank you for another day together, another chance to gather with your son's body and uh, glorify your name. We ask that you would use the rest of this day of rest to uh, contemplate who you are, to make us more into the image of your son, and to grow close together as a fellowship. Always let your will be done above all else. And it's in your son's name we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, sir. Thanks, everybody.